Well, everybody, have your Bibles ready at Isaiah chapter 55, and we are going to be finishing up the lesson that was begun last week. Isaiah 55, part one was last Sunday, and part two is today. Uh, part of the amazing thing about this this whole book of Isaiah is that it is so messianic, so pointed towards and geared towards uh, towards us. That, that's how, when I read it, it's just so amazing because I feel like I'm a part of it. And all the way back, you know, some 700 years before God sent Jesus, he was just revealing his plan for the promised kingdom that was going to come, a kingdom that its leader is Christ Jesus, and we're a part of this wonderful kingdom. So today is, we're living in the day and the times of the kingdom of God. So today is the day of salvation. That's the message for uh, the lesson today for 55, six, starting in verse number six to the end. Today is the day of salvation. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to receive joy and peace in your life. Uh, I will note last week, I'm very surprised that nobody gave me a little heads up to a funny mistake that I made. Um, did anybody notice a mistake I had in my outline all the way through? It was a continuous mistake in my outline last week. Instead of listing chapter 55, I listed it as chapter one. And I did that all the way through the lesson last week. I didn't notice it until uh, until I was working on uh transfer in this lesson to the outline for today. So I got it right today. We are, in fact, in Isaiah 55. Uh, to summarize verses 1 through 5, what we considered, and actually we didn't even consider all of it. We didn't really look at verses 4 and 5 last week too much. But I would summarize those first five verses as this. The Lord invites everyone, Jew and Gentile, to come and freely receive an everlasting covenant with God for a good and abundant life. That's the, that's the covenant that God makes with us. I'm going to give you a good and abundant life. So we're, that's the kingdom. That's the promise of the kingdom, an everlasting covenant with God in Christ Jesus for the abundance, the goodness, the one who can fill us and 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 satisfy our thirst and our every longing. It's only in Jesus. So come to him. That was the proclamation, the forecast that was made in this prophecy, and we are recipients of it. Now we move to chapter 55, verses 6 and 7. I'm going to take them in groups of two, these verses, and I think it, it fits really well. And we're just going to summarize this and consider the implications for us. Isaiah 55, verse number six, it says, and, and this is right after this wonderful invitation to come to him, Jew and Gentile, come to him. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the righteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord. And he will have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. What a, it, so here it is, this, this wonderful invitation. Salvation is, 
is here for you. Salvation is going to be delivered, but you must seek the Lord while he may be found. You must call upon him while he is near. Now, when you hear that message, when you hear those thoughts, you know automatically it's, he's saying you do it now because later might be too late. Don't wait for this. This invitation is now. Don't, don't tempt we say the, the, the words don't tempt fate, you know, I don't believe in fate, but there is this whole idea of playing with time and, you know, we're just taking a gamble and taking a, a risk that, you know, you've heard the message of salvation in Christ to thank for any one of us that, that well, I'm going to put it off a little bit longer. God says, no, don't do it. You seek God while he's near. You call upon him when you can actually know that he's there and listening because there might come a time when it is everlasting too late. So to go along with the the lesson today, um, behind me, hopefully you can kind of read it for those of you who have a screen today, um, a little something that that I found. Uh, I don't know who created this, but it's just a graphic. It says, don't wait until it's too late. And at the bottom, it says, seek the Lord while he may be found, Isaiah 55, 6. And there are so many, there there are six little images here that create a picture for us of why we wait, why we put off what we should grab hold of um, today. And it kind of goes back to this idea that in verse number two, it says, why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? So much of our lives we just spend, well, we put off God so we can go after this or that or the other thing. And we think happiness is found in the stuff and in the things. And it's not. It's going to be found only in God. And we got to put away the junk and seek the Lord while, he, while we can find him. So. Sometimes we just think, well, we're, we're young. We're too young. You know, don't wait until it's too late. And so we're, we're too young to seek God. You know, now is not the time. I'm busy with getting ready for the rest of my life. I'll seek him later on. And that is a dangerous thing. Don't wait until it's too late. Sometimes we think that we're too independent to seek God. You know, we have things. We have stuff. Why would we ever seek God? We don't need him. And that's the danger of our stuff, is that we think we won't need God. We're too independent. Don't wait until it's too late. Seek God. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Sometimes that we think, uh, you know, what gets in our way is that we're too happy to seek God. We're finding fulfillment in relationships. We're finding fulfillment in a job. We're finding fulfillment in this or that, the other thing. And, you know, and some of the things that might we might fulfillment in is doing good. We might have a good cause that we're donating our lives to. We're giving our life to some good cause. But if God's not in it, then it's just going to be a distraction. Don't be, don't find, don't think that you're too happy to seek God. And don't get too busy to seek God. You know, our things, our devices, our pleasures, the money that is there. You know, don't, don't be too busy to seek God. And don't be too tired to seek God. You know, it's, uh, 
this thing called life, it, it can be exhausting. And sometimes life just sucks the life out of us, doesn't it? You know what I mean? It's, it's like, and I, I think this year, maybe we can, some of us can understand it a little bit more than normal. Is we just, life wears us down, whether it's difficulties with, um, with our health, whether it's uh, just difficulties with relationships, whether we just don't have the energy. Maybe sometimes we just feel like, well, is God even really there? You know, maybe that's just the tiredness of it, that life draws us away from him and we're just too tired to seek God. Don't wait. Don't be too tired to seek God. And lastly, this last little image is of a grave. Sometimes it is too late to seek God. And all these other things can build up to this one, is that it would be too late. You don't be too young. Don't be too independent. Don't be too happy or too busy or too tired to seek God because someday it might be everlasting too late to seek God. That is a scary thought. It doesn't matter who you are in this life. That is why we are here. God put us here to seek him. So seek the Lord while he may be found. That is just a wonderful verse, a wonderful thought for us. Seek him while he may be found. All right, let's uh, move on to a second uh, point, a second label that I've put on this, this particular verse, um, particularly in relationship to verse number seven. It says, let the wicked forsake his way and the righteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him. So there is the invitation for all to come to Jesus. That is, that's an invitation uh, for everyone who repents. This is the message of the gospel is that Jesus will give you salvation and it is free, but you got to come to him willing to get rid of your old life, to get rid of the junk. You must do that. And the reference to free is a reference back to, to verse number one in this chapter. It's free. But there is something you have to do when you grab hold of this new life. You have to get rid of the old life. You have to put it aside. And when you're willing to do that, as it says at the end here, is that he will have compassion and he will abundantly pardon. And this is just an echo of this great and wonderful declaration that was made in chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. And there it said, you know, though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And that's the, the emphasis of really this whole book is how you can be saved, how your sins can be forgiven. The Lord will abundantly pardon. And so the Lord's, he's, he's providing the way he is going to give salvation. And he just calls us to come to him. Any who are going to repent, any who are willing, but you just got to make sure that don't wait on this. Don't wait. All right, verses eight and nine. Here he says, for my thoughts. And so that word is, it begins with the word for, it's connected to the previous thoughts and instruction there. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor 
are your ways, my ways, declares the Lord. For as, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, that's quite a distance, quite a difference. So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So that verse, it's just saying what should be obvious. And that is that God is smarter than us. God is wiser than us. God is his more charitable and he is more loving than us. We don't define God. He defines himself. And the way the Lord does things and his ability to do things, it will surprise us. But his ways are always better. They are always higher. And I ask this question here in relation to this verse and in relationship to the context of chapter 55 and in, in the, you know, Isaiah as a whole, what was, what was going to be surprising about his ways? What do you think he was alluding to here? Why would, why would he even say this at this point in time? And he's talking, he had just finished talking about, he will abundantly pardon. And that gives me this hint and this clue that the way God is going to forgive and who God for, is going to forgive it's just going to blow your mind. His ways are above our ways. It is, he is better thinking, a better planner. And he, has, he isn't just talking about, because in the, in the immediate context of this is Israel is doomed to, to go to Babylon. They are destined for Babylon. That is the prophecy of the book. You're going to Judah, Israel, you're going to go to Babylon. You're going to be in captivity there, but I'm going to save you. I'm going to bring you back. Well, and they probably thought, hey, that's great. We're going to come back. We don't have to worry, you know. But God says, you know, but there's something bigger. And it's going to blow your mind. He is going to have salvation for the entire world. As you think about verse number five, he says, behold, you will call a nation you do not know. And a nation which knows you not will run to you. You know, I think this is a reference to uh, the idea of Gentiles are going to be saved in the kingdom of God. And it's going to blow their mind. And But yet also, the way that he does it, by sending his own son to die on a cross, that is even a bigger, more mind-blowing. Um, that is not a plan that mankind would have, that God would send his own son to come and die for the creation. It is a mind-blowing it is a big thought, and if you ever struggle with grasping that concept of God sending his own son to die for you and what it means, you know, it is that kind of concept. If, you're, if you struggle with it, then you're kind of thinking about it probably a little bit right, because it just does, it is supposed to blow our minds. And we're, you know, when we grow up in the church and we're going to church all the time, or we're reading our Bible all the time, we kind of get used to it, but it is just a wonderful, powerful thought that would have not originated with mankind. And here it is being proposed 700 years in this writing before, 700 years before Jesus even came. All right, on to um, verse, that was verses eight and nine, talking about how God's ways, his thoughts are so much higher than ours. Um, verses 10 and 11, let's read here. He says, for as the rain, so he's just connecting all these thoughts. He's continuing to build. He says, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return 
there without watering the earth and making it bear and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. So again, you know, God is wise and what he has proposed is going to come to pass. When he says something, it will happen. So you just got to, you trust God's word, trust in him, what he says he will do, he will do. And if he has prophesied about something that will come to pass, it will come to pass. And now we're a part of this great kingdom that he had forecast. He had foretold it long ago, the great kingdom of God. And I look at the, the pictures over here on my the left of my screen, and I see pictures of brothers and sisters in Christ who are part of the kingdom of God that we share in a joyful kingdom, a, a peace together. Just as God's word said, you know, and we're not the only ones in this city. We're not the only ones in uh, in Kentucky or in, in Ohio. We're not the only believers in the United States of America. We're not the only believers in the world. This kingdom has taken over and, and has gone throughout the world and it is spreading. What a, what a joyful thing it is to be a part of that. The word of God doesn't, it doesn't go forth and fail. It succeeds. That word of God doesn't come out of the mouth of God and just sputter. That word of God doesn't return empty. It accomplishes what it was intended to do. And just consider that today we can trust that word that he's given to us. We can trust all the promises he has given to us. We can trust him. We can trust Jesus, our Savior. And we can, we can speak his words to other and others and trust that they will still have that impact upon others. So just consider the gospel as we are called to go forth and share this gospel. God's word is powerful and effective. God's word will succeed. It doesn't depend upon us. It doesn't depend upon the vessel that's coming from other than we're just willing to speak it and we're willing to live according to it, then when we speak it, it will succeed. So trust God's word and speak God's word to others. The last thoughts here in verses uh, 12 and 13. It says, For you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. Now I want to pause here just for a second because I think those for us to understand those words, we got to understand, you know, it, in the immediate sense, for that initial sense, he was speaking to the Jews in Babylon, you're going to be called out of there. You're going to go out from Babylon, leave your oppressor. You're going to be led forth with peace. Okay, so that was, you know, it's kind of a prediction of escaping from their captivity. Um, you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy before you. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush, the cypress will come up. And instead of the nettle, the myrtle will come up. And it will be a memorial or a name to the Lord for an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. So, 
I mentioned this, that for the Jews, this is talking about salvation from Babylon. And they'll be led forth from there. They're going to come back home. They're going to rebuild the temple and all that, okay? But in the bigger scheme of thing, in the bigger picture, and what he's really trying to create here is something bigger than that. And the clue is, for me, it was particularly with verse 13 when it says, instead of the thorn bush, instead of the nettle. So those are things with thorns, things that the stinging nettle, you know, that you they kind of prick you and make your skin hurt. Um, instead of those, there's going to be come forth a cypress tree, you know, strength and strong and powerful and straight. And the cedars of Lebanon, the cypresses. Um, but the, and then that second tree, um, I don't know what a myrtle tree is. Maybe some of you know what a myrtle tree is. All I know is that from the context of this passage, it's something good. So what is what the bad plants are going to be replaced with good plants? And I think it's a picture, especially with the thorns. It re- re- represents the, the changing of the curse of sin and it's being undone. So in Genesis 3.18, you know, Adam was told you're going to have to work by the sweat of your brow and the, and the earth is going to produce thorns, make it difficult for you. And that is going to be overcome. That is going to be changed. And when does that happen? When was the curse overcome? The curse of sin? It was undone by Jesus Christ. So for the Jews, salvation was from Babylon. But in the future, for the Jews and for us all, salvation is from sin. We can go forth from sin. We can go forth from our captivity and from being slaves to sin and being free to live, and creation is just going to shout with joy over this. This is the great and wonderful thing that God has done in the world, and he forecasted 700 years before it happened, before Jesus came, the curse was undone. The curse came through Adam, but salvation comes through Jesus Christ. That mention at the very end of verse 13, a memorial to the Lord for an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. That, that memorial is the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That name of Jesus, that memorial that we partake of, I think, is pictured in here a little bit. The, the death, when we take the feast the memorial feast, the Lord's Supper, we're remembering the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. That is the great and wonderful proclamation of the gospel. We're part of that. And so I want you to consider then, verse number 12, as, as you think about this, the challenge for, for the week, you know, if we... If, we, we have sought the Lord. We've come to Jesus Christ. We've given him our lives. Then it's saying when we've been freed from our sins, you, you will go out. You will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. Do you have that joy and peace in your life? And I want us all to live like it this week. I want to, I want to be one who lives uh, like one who truly has been saved. So go out with joy and peace this week. Live according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you're not a Christian, if you haven't given him your life, the, that invitation is there, as he, just as he started with, is seek the Lord while he may be found. 
Call upon him while he is near. So if you're not saved today, don't wait to seek God. Don't put him off. Don't let anything get in your way. Seek him today. Find salvation in Jesus Christ. And Jesus just cries out to you. He says, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. All you who thirst, come to me and I will give you drink. So come to Jesus today. If you need to respond in any way, the song we're going to sing is to encourage you. Make that commitment to do what you need to do. Seek God while he can still be found.